down a threat to decency and humanity. Last week, along with cocaine, what is it today? It's more than one small country. It is a big idea. Because of oppression, has new Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to discuss the ancient battle for the minds of men. Going back through history, we'll see that there's always been this power struggle between two different sides of opposing forces, all working towards a unified goal, but coming at it from different approaches. And uh, we're going to look back tonight into some of the older histories of uh, some of the secret societies and we're going to hear directly from the horse's mouth folks just who it is that these people believe that they are who it is that they believe that we are and uh, just exactly what they think of us and what they think of themselves and uh, how they define this disparity uh, in this uh, gap between social classes, so to say. So uh, we're going to look through, and we'll see within the writings of the secret societies here, who this power elite group is that runs the world, what they think they are, who they think they are, and who they think we are, and why they seem to uh, work against us at every turn. And we're going to go back a little bit into the history here, and we're going to explore a couple of these ideas. And tonight, we're going to primarily be reading from a Rosicrucian book uh, written by Mr. Max Heindel. Okay, he was a, a well-known uh, Rosicrucian and one of their more, more prolific writers. And he understood uh, many things about occult science and, uh, you know, many of these occult philosophies that the Rosicrucian order brought forward. And make no mistake about it... Uh, all these secret society groups today, they all espouse many of these same ideas in different iterations or different descriptions, so to say. But it's it's all the same teachings at the core of it. Okay? So we're going to get right into it here. <clears throat> so we'll be reading from the book. And this is a book, if you could you could find it online, it's it's available out there, you know, it's open source. Uh, it's in the public domain and it's called Freemasonry and Catholicism by Max Heindel. And we're going to start right here in the beginning of the book. And we're going to begin reading. And as we go, I'll start breaking down some of these ideas for you. <coughs> Excuse me. Clear my throat a little there so I can talk without choking here while I'm going along. All right. The Rosicrucian Fellowship aims to educate and construct to be charitable even to those from whom we differ, and never to vent the venom of vituperation, spite, or malice, even upon those who seem deliberately determined to mislead. We revere the Catholic religion, 
It is as divine in its essence as both were born to further the aspiration of the striving soul, and both have a message and a mission in the world not apparent upon the surface today because man-made ceremonial as a scale has hidden the present articles to remove that scale and show the cosmic purpose of these two great organizations, which are so bitterly antagonistic to each other. We do not aim to reconcile them, however, for though they are both designed to further the emancipation of the soul, their methods are different, and the attributes of the soul fostered by one method will indeed be very different from the quality of the soul nurtured in the other school. Therefore, the strife must continue until the battle for the souls of men has been lost and won. The issue is not, however, the persistence of the Masonic or Catholic institutions, but the outcome will determine the nature of the training humanity will receive in the remaining periods of our evolution. We shall endeavor to show the cosmic root of both these institutions, the purpose of each and the training which each will inaugurate. If successful, also, the nature of the soul quality which may be expected to result from each method. The writer is not a mason, and sorry folks, I'm going to pause there. The rest of this is all in capital letters, because he wants to make it abundantly clear here that he's not a mason, okay? <clears throat> so let me read exactly what Max Heindel says here. He has this all in caps, so this is important to keep in mind as we go through the rest of this discourse. <coughs> the writer is not a mason. And thus, he is free to say what he knows without fear of violating obligations. But he is a Mason at heart, and therefore, frankly opposed to Catholicism. Okay, and I'm going to pause right there, folks. So you see, uh, the writer, he is a Rosicrucian. He claims he's not a Mason, so he's not bound by their blood oaths. Uh, Rosicrucians take different oaths than Masons, but it's all basically the same idea. So he's not going to be, like, giving away the bank here, folks, just so you know. But he does put down some important ideas and expresses very plainly some of the beliefs of many of these people. Uh, but also, he, he speaks up and says that he is opposed to Catholicism. And uh, to a certain degree, uh, you could also say the rest of Christianity as well. Because you see, and, and we'll get into this here a little further as we go, what we'll explain uh, some of these ideas in more detail. But uh, he's making it clear here, he's not a Mason, although he does have some of the same beliefs as Masons and uh, is opposed to the Catholic Church or Catholicism, as he says here. Not necessarily just the Church, uh, but Catholicism. And, you know, that's that's kind of a broad term. It's a very specific sect of Christianity uh, that he's talking about. But that would also infer that much of, uh, you know, Christianity he has a problem with as well. But uh, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. We'll get there. He'll put his own words out there very soon. Let's continue the reading, shall we? <clears throat> Our opposition is not fanatical or blind to the merits of the Catholic religion, however. The Catholic is our brother, as well as the Mason. We would not say a disparaging, irreverent word against the faith, or those who live by it, and should we seem to do so in any passage, the wrong will be due to inadvertence. 
the reader is requested to note that we distinguish sharply between the Catholic hierarchy and the Catholic religion, but the former are also our brothers. We would not throw stones, either physically or morally, for we know our own shortcomings too well to attack others. Thus, our opposition is not personal, but spiritual, and to be fought with the weapon of the spirit, reason. We firmly believe it to be, for the everlasting good of mankind, that the Masons should win, and cannot therefore be sure to present the Catholic side in a very perfectly unbiased manner, but we ask our students for whom this is written to believe that we shall try to be just. Of the cosmic facts we are certain, but bias may creep into our conclusions, therefore each must use his reason to test what we have to say, vis-a-vis, -vis, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So um, the Rosicrucians and uh, many of these other secret society orders, they believe that uh, in this battle between Catholicism and uh, Freemasonry, that the Masonic side of this should win, see. Uh, and, and we'll get a little bit deeper into this as we go through here. But uh, you could see where uh, uh, some of this um, conflict comes from now, can't you? Uh, when you understand that many of those people in positions of power in this world are diametrically opposed to, uh, you know, the, the things that have been done here in the name of the church. And, you know, I think we all have some problems with things that have been done here in the past in the name of the quote-unquote church, speaking directly to Catholicism and uh, the Vatican, folks. And that is where uh, he does make a little bit of a distinction here because he's talking about uh, the difference between the Catholic hierarchy and the Catholic religion. So in some ways you can't disagree with some of what he's saying, but in another way, uh, they've kind of taken it uh, a little bit of a step further. And, and we'll get to that as we go on here. And we'll see what exactly has been done here through the ages and what's going on today. And we'll see how this is relevant today as we, we get going here. But uh, it's important that we go through <clears throat> and we lay down this groundwork for people to better understand this spiritual battle that we are fighting here today and where it originates from and who some of the key players are within it. So uh, let's continue on with the reading here. <clears throat> the great law of analogy is everywhere the master key of all spiritual mysteries, and although Masonry and Catholicism do not begin till we arrive at the Earth period, they have their prototype in the earlier periods. We shall therefore briefly touch upon the essential facts. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Listen carefully to what he just said here. He said the great law of analogy is the master key of all the spiritual mysteries. Okay, keep that in mind. Analogy. They're talking about archetypal ideas, mythologies, things like this, uh, these very subjective type things, these are the key to all spiritual mysteries. Okay, so they, they speak in symbols or archetypes, uh, and usually they use the archetypes of mythology in many of these ways. And what we're going to touch on here, what we're reading next that he's talking about, he says here that Masonry and Catholicism do not begin till we arrive at the Earth period. That would be like the current period we are in, 
according to many of these occult sciences and occult teachings. And we'll get into that. They believe in earlier ages man has uh, uh, actually come through a, a, dif a different type of evolution as, as what we people would think of as evolution. All right. Uh, in many of these occult sciences, they believe there's a step, stepping up process uh, through periods of evolution and different types of evolution that we step into in different ages that our soul, uh, our souls and stuff are in at the a particular time. And we'll see here, and you'll you'll begin to understand a little better as I read further here. <clears throat> but let's get back to it. Okay, in the Saturn period, the earth in the making was dark. Heat, which is the manifestation of the ever-invisible fire, was the only element then manifest. Embryonic mankind was mineral-like, the only lower kingdom of evolving life. Unity was everywhere observable, and the lords of mind, who were human then, were at one among themselves. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There's a lot of big ideas bound up in that little paragraph there. Okay, first things first. We're talking about the Saturn period. Okay, uh, this is equated to, in some of the different mythologies, as the Golden Age of Man. Okay, and you'll see here the Lords of Mind. They were the humans then, and they lived in this Golden Age, what they're calling the, the Lords of Mind, who are evolutionary steps above mankind okay because at that time mankind they're saying embryonic mankind was mineral like and they they believe in this uh, this stepping up process this evolutionary process where you go through these different phases first you start with the mineral and then the, you step up to the plant kingdom and then it's you step into animal kingdom and then human kingdom and then the next one is uh, what they would call either uh, this, the gods or the angels, and then above that would be like the creator god, that kind of idea. See, so there's this stepping up in evolutionary um, layers here that they talk about within some of these occult sciences. So that's what he's in, it, referring to here, and they call these, these were the different ages. These are ages past, okay? And, uh, you know, there's really no evidence to support any of this, but these are some of the teachings that these secret schools put forward see and that this is where the idea of evolution originally came from from these secret schools these secret teachings going all the way back into antiquity okay these are the teachings of the ancient mystery schools all right so they're the first ones to come up with the idea of evolution so that is not something that's relatively new in the history of mankind it was just thought about in a different way and they took this idea and twisted it and perverted it into something totally unnatural and tied it to the eugenics movement folks and that's what darwinian evolution is it's all about eugenics they've taken it they've twisted it turned it and made it into something completely well unnatural that won't stand uh in within nature and we'll, we'll get there later but uh Let's get back to the reading. I don't want to get too sidetracked here because there's a lot to get through tonight. <clears throat> In the Western wisdom teaching, we speak of the highest initiate of the Saturn period as the Father. That's all in caps, folks. In the Sun period, the root of a new element, air, was evolved and coalesced with the true fire which, Mark again, is always invisible and which manifested as heat in the Saturn period, 
Then fire burst into flames, and the dark world became a blazing ball of luminescent, sorry, of luminous fire mist at the word of power, let there be light. And I'm going to pause there again, folks. So you see, when they're talking about the element of fire, this quintessential fire, they're talking about an invisible light that just generates heat, okay? This equates back to a lot of different occult ideas, like the black sun idea. Uh, this is, is what it is. This is the invisible. This is the manifestation of the invisible world into the visible world right here. This is what they're talking about. This came about in the sun period. So before the sun period, in that Saturn period, there was no light to speak of. Or there was, there was nothing uh, as we think of it today to speak of. All was one and all was contained within this quote-unquote heat or this idea of fire. Okay, this is the quintessential idea of fire. And we'll, we'll get a little bit more into that because they, they describe that, the author describes that here in a little more detail, uh, in a way to think of it. And, and remember, earlier when he said that the great law of analogy is everywhere the master key of all spiritual mysteries, that's what we're talking about when we're speaking of fire, the invisible fire. Okay, this is an allegory, folks. Well, it's not to be taken too literally here. So <clears throat> let's continue with the reading here, and we'll keep that in mind because uh, we left off here where it says, Then the fire burst into flames, and the dark world, which would be the invisible world, became a blazing ball of luminous fire mist at the word of power. Let there be light. So see, you could see the, the first element spoken of here. Uh, from the Saturn period is the element of fire. This is, you know, in the view of the occult sciences and uh, of these secret mystery schools, that is the source, okay? The invisible fire, this permeates everything. That is the source of all soul, all life, all everything in their view. So now in the uh, sun period here, it says that there was a new element that evolved, and that would be the element of air. So we have fire and air, and these always in occult science are equated to spiritual ideas, whereas earth and water are always equated to physical ideas. So we'll, we'll see how the tying together of spirit and body, or spirit, mind, soul, and body, uh, becomes, you know, allegorized in these elements here as we go. But let's, let's continue reading. I don't want to get too sidetracked, like I had said earlier. Let the student ponder well the relation of fire and flame. The former lies sleeping, invisible in everything, and is kindled into light in various ways. By a blow of a hammer upon a stone, a friction of wood against wood, and by chemical action, etc. This gives us a clue to the identity and state of the Father whom no man hath seen at any time, but who is revealed in the light of the world. The Son, and that's spelled S-O-N, and it's with a capital S here, who is the highest initiate of the Sun period, and that Sun period is S-U-N, okay? Uh, so we see there, I'm going to pause there. <clears throat> so they're equating the idea of the invisible fire or the heat with the Father or the Creator, um, and they're the flame or the visible light, the visible fire with the sun, or he's equating this here to God the Father and God the Son, you see. 
So th that's exactly what they're talking about right here when you look at it uh, from the allegorized standpoint here. So let's continue on. <clears throat> As the unseen fire is revealed in the flame, so also the fullness of the Father dwelt in the Son. And they are one as fire is one with the flame in which it manifests. This is the root of all true sun and fire worship. All look beyond the physical symbol and adore our Father who art in heaven. The mystic masons of today hold this faith in fire as firmly as ever. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So you see, he actually described the Godhead, or what we would figure the, the, as the Trinity in you know, uh, Christianity. He described it very well here. See, he said, um, just as the unseen fires revealed in the flame... So the Father is also manifest in the Son, you see. Uh, so this is a good uh, description in a lot of ways of, of how exactly that idea works. Uh, but also, you also see here that uh, he claims the mystic masons, and that, that's a big distinction, folks. He's talking about mystic masons. These are people that go beyond the Blue Lodge or the first three degrees of masonry, okay? They're the ones that seek the occult sciences and and progress further and study further in these secret societies they're the mystic masons they're the ones that study the occult science so he's saying that the mystic masons of today hold this faith in fire as firmly as ever so they put their their faith in this as fire the allegorical idea of fire and that is why they consider themselves uh, the philosophers of fire. That's why they call themselves this. Okay, and this will be important as we move on later because we'll see what all this means, and 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 this will tie together very soon for you folks. You'll see. Anyway, <clears throat> let's continue with the reading here. Thus, it will be seen that the unity which prevailed in the Saturn period continued in the Sun period. The ordinary humanity of that time has now evolved to the glory of archangels or archangels, some who were more advanced than others, but there were, was no antagonism among them. Our present humanity had advanced to a plant-like stage and was slightly above the new life wave started in the sun period, and unity also here prevailed. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So see, they're saying that the ordinary humanity of that sun period, these became ar the archangels, see. Uh, so they advanced, they, they stepped up in this next stage of their evolution, see. Uh, and humanity, back at that stage, they were the equivalent of their plant-like stage. So you see how they, they use this evolutionary idea. They have this blueprint where you step through. You, ma you first manifest the, the base manifestation of anything is first the mineral kingdom, and then it's of the plant kingdom, animal kingdom, human kingdom, angel angelic kingdom, etc., etc. So this is how the, the steps go in their occult science of evolution here, all right? So that's what they're talking about. So each each of these ages or periods that they call them, there's a new life wave starts. And when the new life wave starts, it pushes that uh, stage that's above it up one more station here. So you see how uh, this kind of thing causes a, a step, an evolutionary jump. And this is what they claim, all right? No, I don't want to get too hung up on that, but we'll see as we read a little further here. 
But let's read on. In the moon period, contact of the heated sphere with cold space generated moisture, and the battle of the elements commenced in all its fierceness. The heated ball of fire endeavored to evaporate the moisture, force it outwards, and create a vacuum wherein to maintain its integrity and burn undisturbed. But there is and can be no void in nature. Gonna pause there, folks. This is a very crucial idea to keep in mind. Nature abhors a vacuum, okay? There can be no void in nature. Keep that in mind. That's imperative to understanding the way reality works, all right? So uh, when they tell you outer space is a vacuum, folks, that is an out-and-out -out lie that cannot stand in nature, okay? That defies natural law, and therefore it cannot exist in that way. Even uh, any vacuum we could create here uh, on Earth, a man-made vacuum, we have never created a perfect vacuum. It's not possible because nature abhors a vacuum. And when you do create a vacuum, what happens? Or a partial vacuum? Well, air or whatever materials are there that are present, they rush in to fill the space, don't they? Uh, so you see, that's an important idea. I don't want to get too sidetracked there, but let's keep that in mind. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, read that sentence again. We'll start over, and then I'll continue on. But uh, I thought that was important to point out. <clears throat> the heated ball of fire endeavored to evaporate the moisture, force it outwards, and create a vacuum wherein to maintain its integrity and burn undisturbed. But there is and can be no void in nature. Hence... The outrushing steam condensed at a certain distance from the heated ball and was again driven inwards by the cold of space to be again evaporated and propelled outwards. In a ceaseless round for ages and ages as a shuttlecock between the separate hierarchies of spirits composing the various kingdoms of life represented in the fire sphere and cosmic space, which is an expression of the homogeneous absolute spirit. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This is also known in many of the ancient uh, mythologies and ancient uh, philosophies as the concept of chaos. Okay? This homogeneous absolute spirit idea, cosmic space. And that's what many of the ancient uh, philosophers of old and, uh, you know, the, the Greek and the Indian and all of those... Uh, this is how they describe chaos, and this is when you go back and look at the old, old mythologies, the Babylonian mythologies and stuff, when they're speaking of chaos, they're speaking, or speaking of what they would consider cosmic space, or space, they're talking about this idea, this homogeneous absolute spirit, okay? So that's the whole idea, and that's bound up in the term chaos in many of the mythologies. <coughs> also the religious ideas, too, but... Uh, let's go back to that. So uh, let me read that last part again, and we'll move on again. So it says here, uh, represented in, sorry, I lost my place, in the fire sphere and cosmic space, which is an expression of the homogeneous absolute spirit. The fire spirits are actively striving to attain enlargement of consciousness. But the absolute rests ever clothed in the invisible garment of cosmic space. In it, all powers and possibilities are latent, uh, 
and it seeks to discourage and check any attempt at expenditure of latent power as dynamic energy required in the evolution of a solar system. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So ex what this is describing, it's calling this uh, cosmic space. It says that it's the uh, cosmic space is the uh, an analogous idea to the homogeneous absolute spirit and spirit it's saying here it sits latent okay and it seeks to discourage and check any attempt at expenditure of the latent power as dynamic energy so this is pure potential okay so think of it in that way so spirit is pure potential okay and the dynamic uh, energy required in the evolution of a solar system would be the expenditure of this um, latent power within or the potential see so this would be the manifestation of the potential into active so it, you see how there's a lot of correlation here uh, between that and if you want to get scientific and technical here if you look at this in terms of the uh, electromagnetic field it's the same type of a thing uh, whereas it's a uh, a manifestation of the energy and the dissipation of energy how it feeds in one is the potential energy and the other one is the direct application of energy I don't know if I'm describing this well or not but this is pretty much what it's it's hinting at here all right so it's saying that uh, this fire idea is the idea of dynamic energy so this is actual active energy or this is the active principle whereas this uh, cosmic space or uh, you know absolute spirit idea is the latent energy or the passive type energy this is pure potential see so you have potential and kinetic in a sense there so you can see the way this whole dichotomy works so it's the same kind of thing so you have one keeping the other in check uh, and and that's what it's speaking of here and these ideas are a little bit important to touch on uh, because I, I just want to make sure that people are understanding uh, some of the implications of this so let's read on so they, they look at these from the concept of these absolute elemental ideas and these are the philosophical elemental ideas being fire and water okay so let's get back to where we read so we just read uh, about that so here's where we left off water is the agent it used to quench the fire of active spirits the zone between the heated center of the separate spirit sphere and the point where its individual atmosphere meets cosmic space is a battleground of evolving spirits at various stages of evolution i'm going to read that last sentence again folks it's another important idea to ponder upon the zone between the heated center of the separate spirit sphere and the point where its individual atmosphere meets cosmic space is a battleground of evolving spirits at various stages of evolution so it's acknowledging the spiritual battle here okay uh, when we're, we're looking at that it's acknowledging a spiritual battle all right it says the spirit sphere it's talking about the fire as being the spirit sphere and the water which it would be the point here where the atmosphere meets the cosmic space see this is also describing what's uh, 
talked about in the Bible as the waters above. See, many of these old mythologies and religions acknowledge what we would consider outer space as being a type of water. See, so there's that water idea once again. And this is also uh, one of the uh, the things that uh, is, you know, a major source of many lies today about the nature of outer space. See, there's, there's many reasons to believe that there's some kind of a uh, watery aspect to outer space. Okay? And that's what this is talking about. It's talking about cosmic space being, you know, the... Uh, allegorized idea of water here whereas the spirit sphere it says you are the invisible world the invisible within forcing its way out these these energies these fire energies it's being quenched in this uh, point between uh, cosmic space and uh, the center of this spirit sphere so this being the case it's a it's talking about a spiritual battleground where, where there's all types of evolution going on of different spiritual ideas in the spiritual realm here. But you can see how it relates to the concept that we're familiar with in our modern quote-unquote science, okay, of a, a planet and, uh, you know, this outer space idea, this kind of thing. But uh, what they're describing to us is a total misdescription of what's going on. And, and here... Uh, we could see some older ideas of what the ancients thought of these things. And uh, as I mentioned just a little while ago, the waters above. See, uh, this goes back to the idea of the firmament back in the Bible and how the waters above and the waters below, uh, all of these different things. And this, this, you know, is one of the things talked about in Genesis with the great flood, how the, the heavens opened and the waters above came rushing in, as well as the waters below. Uh, it, it wasn't just, you know, a regular, say, you know, rivers overflowing its banks or something as described. It was something more happened with that whole idea. So, not to get too hung up on that point, let's move along here and see what they're saying here. The present angels were human in the moon period, and the highest initiate is the Holy Spirit, Jehovah. Going to pause there, folks. So here's what they're claiming now. The present angels, okay, were human in the moon period. So, um, and the highest initiate is the Holy Spirit, or Jehovah. So here they're invoking the third part of the Trinity, okay? They're saying that came about in the moon period. So, so far we've seen the Saturn period, which they equate as the Father, the, the Sun period as the Son, or Jesus, in the Christian uh, interpretation here. And then the moon period here was the Holy Spirit, or Jehovah. So see how they combined the, the three parts of Trinity into one through these different ages. And this is what they believe, and this is how they believe the active uh, evolution in spirit happens, and how you step up through these different transitory phases. And uh, we'll, we'll see as we get along here some of the other things that they believe. Okay? Let's continue on. <clears throat> As our humanity and the other kingdoms of life on earth are variously affected by the present elements, so that some, like heat, 
Others prefer cold. Some thrive on moisture, and others require dryness. So also, in the moon period, among the angels, some had affinity for water. Others abhorred it and loved fire. The continued cycles of condensation and evaporation of the moisture surrounding the fiery center eventually caused incrustation, and it was the purpose of Jehovah to mold this red earth, it says in quotation marks here, translated Adam, into forms wherein to imprison and quench the spirits of fire. I'm going to pause there, folks, because that is all in capital letters. Quench the spirits of fire. Okay? So, it's an important idea to keep in mind. And uh, here, we'll get to it, because I think it describes it here in this next sentence here. So, uh, let me read that again, and then I'll just continue on. To the continued cycles of condensation and evaporation of the moisture surrounding the fiery center eventually caused incrustation. Going to pause for a moment. So, then we see the idea of the fourth element of Earth. And we're talking about the philosophical elements now. Because first was fire, then came air, and then water joined in because of the cold of space, see, or the chaos. And uh, then was water, and then the constant battle between fire and water through the air eventually produced this idea of incrustation or earth. So that being the case, this is what they're talking about when they're saying about... Uh, this this you know continued cycle here what had happened so and then it says and it was the purpose of jehovah to mold this red earth translated adam into forms wherein to imprison and quench the spirits of the fire to this end he issued the creative fiat and the prototypes of fish fowl and every living thing appeared even including the primitive human form which were created by his angels. Thus, he hoped to make all that lives and moves subservient to his will. Against this plan, a minority of the angels rebelled. They had too great an affinity for fire to bear contact with water, and refused to create the forms as ordered, but thereby they at the same time deprived themselves of an opportunity of evolution along the conventional lines and became an anomaly in nature. Furthermore, having repudiated the authority of Jehovah, they must work out their own salvation in their own manner. How this has been accomplished by Lucifer, their great leader, will be made plain in the following articles. For the present, suffice it to say that in the Earth period, when various planets were differentiated to provide proper evolutionary environment for each class of spirits, the angels under Jehovah were set to work with the inhabitants of all planets having moons, while the Lucifer spirits have their abode upon the planet Mars. The angel Gabriel is representative on Earth of the lunar hierarchy presided over by Jehovah. The angel Samael is ambassador of the martial forces of Lucifer. Gabriel, who announced the coming birth of Jesus to Mary, and his lunar angels are therefore the givers of physical life, while Samael and the hosts of Mars are the angels of death. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There is a huge amount of information 
to go back over in that last paragraph here, isn't there? <clears throat> so we see here that the Rosicrucians, the secret schools, the, the Masons, you know, all, all of these different secret society groups, uh, they believe themselves to be the philosophers of fire. They uh, equate themselves with the fire. Okay. And uh, they are in opposition to anything that is the water or of the water. Okay. So it says here, now this is according to their, um, their um, uh, what would we call this? Their, their cosmology, I guess, is the best term for it. So according to the cosmology they're giving here, they're saying that uh, in the moon period, the present angels were the humans then, okay? And of in this moon period, the highest initiate was the Holy Spirit or Jehovah. So now it's saying we're moving on to the next period of history, which is the earth period, which is the current period we're in. So we're talking about the very beginnings of the earth period. So they're saying what had happened now is... Uh, Jehovah, uh, the Holy Spirit, his task was to uh, mold these surroundings here, okay, and it says the red earth in, in quotation marks, and that infers a lot of different ideas to when we're, we're looking at uh, the idea of red and earth because once again we're talking about these these are those archetypal philosophical type elements so the color red is is generally considered in alchemical senses to be masculine in nature electric in nature um, all of these different ideas and earth earth would be the opposite earth would be feminine in nature uh, you know negative in polarity whereas you know the, the red would be a positive polarity. So it, it's talking about these opposing ideas, combining these opposing ideas into a physical form. Okay, and it's translated as Adam, A-D-A-M. Okay, and uh, so Jehovah's task was to mold these different uh, conflicting forces, these elemental forces, into forms wherein to imprison and quench the spirits of the fire. See. So the, the spirits of the fire, according to this, they were not happy uh, with the idea of sharing space with uh, those these watery ideas, okay? Because as it said in the previous uh, section there, about uh, some prefer cold, some thrive on moisture, others require dryness. See, so the, the, these ideas, uh, the sons of fire so to say were not happy with these conditions because you see this is the active principle these are the ones that uh, want to manifest more greatly and don't necessarily like uh, these watery type ideas so what happened is Jehovah uh, declares this creative fiat where he starts to make all the creatures of the earth okay and all these living things but then uh, there were some angels, and these were the, the ones that were humans in the, the moon period, the, the previous period, in the early earth period when they were angelic, when they became angelic. They rebelled against this idea because they didn't like um, what was happening. See, so even though 
it doesn't give you a real indication as to who makes these decisions or anything or or how this all comes about or it doesn't give you the indication that you know uh, Jehovah in this sense is the creator God uh, so it, you, you see how it gets a little convoluted at certain points uh, who who's the one that set this evolution into motion okay well according to this whoever it was they, they gave Jehovah the authority to do this all right but then there were angels among them and it's it claims here that Jehovah or the Holy Spirit was the highest initiate of the humans in the moon period see so the the, the humans in the moon period they became gods or angels so it's claiming that Jehovah is nothing but an elevated human from a previous age okay so this being the case he was given this creative fiat to do this stuff now this is what they believe and this is what they teach all right I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up this is right in their own words here I'm just giving you a little bit of a, a rough translation as to what's being said here to try to make it a little more clear for people so anyway, some of the angels, or these would be actually some of his equals, I guess you would say, because they were the same thing, even though he was the greatest of the initiates of that time, but they were also initiates. And once again, it really touches back on this idea of initiation and, you know, secret knowledge and all these secret schools as being more important than they are. They're puffing themselves up once again. Um, but according to their story here... <clears throat> They, these angels, they rebelled because they didn't like this. They didn't like having to come in contact with water. They wanted to be able to manifest their will uh, as much as they wanted in a more spiritual sense. So what they did is they cut off and deprived themselves of an opportunity of evolution along the conventional lines, uh, which were put in the hands of uh, Jehovah at that time. And they became what it says here is an anomaly in nature. And I would say the Bible, the Holy Bible, describes it as an abomination, not an anomaly, uh, when, when you look at these things. And it says, furthermore, having repudiated the authority of Jehovah, they must work out their own salvation in their own manner. So, this is a direct affront at the Christian faith in one way, shape, or form, see? Uh, so they chose to work out their own salvation when the way was made, okay? The way was made, and, and we'll, we'll get there. I don't want to get too hung up on this, but I think it was important to kind of uh, flesh out some of these points a little better. So it says here, How this has been accomplished by Lucifer, their great leader, will be made plain in the following articles. And it doesn't really tell you the following articles. It says, For the present, suffice it to say that in the Earth period, when various planets were differentiated to provide proper evolutionary environment for each class of the spirits, the angels under Jehovah were set to work with the inhabitants of all planets having moons. See, um, that's an important idea. So, uh, Jehovah, or, or the Holy Spirit, or what we would you know, refer to in Christianity as the, the third part of the Trinity, um, this God, or this being, according to them, has uh, is set to work, is responsible for, and uh, is uh, has dominion over all planets having moons. Okay, 
And it says, well, the Lucifer spirits have their abode upon the planet Mars. So, why why are the power elite obsessed with Mars, folks? And getting to Mars and going to Mars even before they, they go back, allegedly, to the moon. Even though they can't really uh, accurately say that man has, has really been on the moon. They can't really prove it to any degree of certainty. Uh, you know. So that doesn't make sense. The the moon is closer. Why would we not establish a presence on the moon first? Instead, they're talking about going to Mars. They're obsessed with getting to Mars. See? So that being the case, why are they obsessed with the planet Mars and getting to Mars? And why are they not interested in planets like Venus, which might be a little easier actually to land man upon than, or, you know, land probes upon than, than Mars and stuff like that? Uh, why are they they so obsessed with it? Well, this is why. This is the home of the Lucifer spirits. See? Lucifer is associated with Mars. And then this goes on to say right here that the angel Gabriel is representative on Earth. Okay, this is the messenger. And he's the messenger of the lunar hierarchy presided over by Jehovah. Okay? So we see there that uh, Jehovah, or you know, the, the third part of the Holy Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit, <coughs> is associated with the idea of the moon. Okay? So it says that uh, that's the lunar hierarchy, and the angel Samael, and we'll get a little bit more into him later, is the ambassador of the martial forces of Lucifer. So Lucifer is in charge of the martial forces, or the forces of Mars. So Lucifer is in charge of Mars. So once again, we can see the whole idea. Why are these elites, these power elites, so obsessed with the Mars idea? Well, because it directly relates to Luciferianism and the Luciferian philosophy, folks. See, this is their, their savior, Lucifer. Understand? Lucifer, the Lucifer idea, the Prometheus idea, okay? And this, because, you see, it says earlier that they must work out their salvation in their own manner. So, through the use of their intellect, the gift of fire given to them by Prometheus, Lucifer, they're to work out their own salvation this way, see? Anyway, let, let, let's continue on here. And it also says here that... Uh, the lunar angels, along with Gabriel, are the givers of physical life. Okay, So they are associated as the spirits of life. Well, Samael and the hosts of Mars are the angels of death. That's an important idea. So the Mars idea, the death idea. This is why it's a giant death cult, our society. Because the people in charge are Luciferians at the core. And Lucifer... And Mars, all these ideas are the ideas of the angel of death. Okay? Angels of death. I can't make it any clearer. It says right here, in their own words, this is from the horse's mouth, folks. In their own words, Mars, Samael, and the hosts of Mars are the angels of death. So the Luciferian spirits, they are the martial forces. Samael is one of them. He's the uh, uh, 
what do, what do they call him here? The ambassador of the martial forces. Okay. These are the angels of death. <coughs> Let's continue with the reading and see what else that the Rosicrucians can tell us here. Thus originated the feud in the dim dawn of the cosmic day, and that which we see as Freemasonry today is an attempt by the hierarchs of fire, the Lucifer spirits, I'm going to pause there, hierarchs of fire is all in capital letters, so the hierarchs of fire, which he says, comma, the, the Lucifer spirits, so the Lucifer spirits are the hierarchs of fire, okay, let me read that again. Just to be clear, Freemasonry told, or Freemasonry today, is an attempt by the hierarchs of fire, the Lucifer spirits, to bring us the imprisoned spirit light, that by it we may see and know. So let's let's clarify that a little bit more. So Freemasons, the hierarchs of fire, the Lucifer spirits, see, they're here to bring our imprisoned spirits light. So that we can see and know. That's what they believe. Okay. So they they see, they, they put this affront on God. Okay. On the God of this place. Who I would say is our creator God. But they, they see him as being something different. They see they, they equate him to uh, just another, uh, you know, initiate from an older ta time that elevated to that next step and was given charge over this place, and they had a problem with him, okay? That's what they're claiming here. So they're, they're saying that uh, this god, Jehovah, imprisoned many of these spirits of fire in this corporal form here, corporeal form. And because they're imprisoned spirits here, uh, they're trapped and, you know, they are cut off from spiritual things. So, therefore, it's the job of the Lucifer spirits to send light so that they may see and know and be freed from here. Okay? So that's what they claim, and that's what they claim Freemasonry is about and what these secret societies are about. And you know they're obsessed with the idea of light and more light. So you see what they're talking about? <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the reading here. Catholicism is an activity of the hierarchs of water, and that's all in capitals, folks, and places holy water at the temple door to quench the spirits seeking light and knowledge and to inculcate faith in Jehovah. As the vernal equinox is said to be at the first point of Aries, no matter where in the constellations it falls by procession, so the point where the human seed Adam comes from the invisible world and is taken in hand by the lunar god of generation, Jehovah, through his ambassador, the angel Gabriel, is esoterically the first point of cancer. This is the cardinal sign of the watery triplicity and is ruled by the moon. There, conception takes place. But were the form built of water and its con concretions alone, it could never come to birth. So four months later, when the fetus has reached the stage of development corresponding to the second sign of the watery triplicity, Scorpio, the eighth sign, which corresponds to the house of death, Samael, the dauntless ambassador of the Lucifer spirits, invades the watery domain of the lunar hierarchy and introduces the fiery spark of the spirit into the inert form to leaven 
quicken and mold it into an expression of itself. There, the silver cord which has grown from the seed atom of the dense body, located in the heart, since conception, is welded to the part that has sprouted from the central vortex of the desire body, located in the liver, and when the silver cord is tied by the seed atom of the vital body, located in the solar plexus, the spirit dies to life in the super-sensible world and quickens the body it is to use in its coming earth life. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There's a lot encapsulated of ideas in here. So first of all, it's saying that uh, human conception is uh, determined by the, the sky clock, so to say here. And it's not completely wrong because the, the human menstrual cycle runs... Uh, concurrent to the, the lunar cycles, doesn't it? Uh, so you can see how these ideas are all encapsulated here. But it says here, and this, this applies back to uh, some of the different concepts we, we talked about before, how uh, many of the occultists believe that uh, the, uh, the human fetus doesn't really gain a spirit, so to say, until uh, the, the third month or fourth month of gestation. So and that's what this is talking about here when it's saying in the fourth month, uh, the, you know, the Lucifer spirit comes in uh, and introduces the fiery spark of spirit into the inert, inert form. So that being said, what this does or what they claim here is because, uh, see, the, the, uh, the physical being, okay, because once again, when you look at the, uh, the ideas of these philosophical elements. Fire and air usually equate to spiritual ideas or spiritual aspects, and water and earth to physical. So they're saying here, the physical body is being made, and then the fire idea comes in, the spirit comes in, and once the spirit is introduced into this form, then what happens is they claim through all these different uh, worlds here, because they claim you have four, like a fourfold body and four different manifestations in different planes of existence. And one um, they call the desire body, the vital body, the, the mind body. These equate to astral, ethereal, different, these different ideas. Okay, so this is what many of these secret societies believe. So they believe once the spirit enters into the physical manifestation here, then all these things happen. These different bodies, they connect because of this seed atom through this silver cord idea. So this silver cord connects at different, uh, these different chakra points within the body, okay? And they connect into these different realms or worlds, so to say. So it says here, then, the idea is that the spirit dies. See? Because the spirit, before it becomes attached to this physical form, exists in a uh, super sensory type spirit world where it could see and understand and know things and see things. So what happens when the spirit gets attached to the physical? It dies in the spiritual realm, see, and becomes then attached to this body for its uh, upcoming earth life. This is what they claim, okay? So... With that being said, I figured I'd try to explain that out a little bit uh, more, uh, you know, 
in a, in a more descriptive fashion than what it really gives here. But that's the basic idea that it's saying. So let's continue on. I hope people are still with me and, you know, are understanding what I'm trying to explain here. Um, let's get back to the reading, though. This life on Earth lasts until the course of events foreshadowed in the wheel of life the horoscope has been run. And when the spirit again reaches the realm of Samael, the angel of death, the mystic eighth house, the silver cord is loosed, and the spirit returns to God who gave it, until the dawn of another life day in the school of earth beckons it to a new birth that it may acquire more skill in the arts and crafts of temple building. So I'm going to pause there, folks. So it says here, here's that idea of the silver cord again, okay? Uh, many people who've studied anything like uh, astral projection or uh, many of these occult sciences, these philosophies of, of different realms and uh, different planes of existence and things like that, uh, know through a lot of these different uh, stories and stuff we, we've seen and heard and, and many of the different descriptions were given, that this silver cord attaches your soul body to your physical body. So what happens when you actually die the silver cord is loosed, it says here, or severed, and death approaches. So you return to the uh, realm of the dead, or the realm of Samael, the angel of death. See? So this is what they claim to be the mystic eighth house, and there's the number eight, which is, you know, always associated with uh, Mercury. Okay? Hermes. Prometheus. Lucifer. It goes on and on and on. So there, there's the number eight idea. It's the trickster idea. And it also relates to the idea of time. There, there's a lot of different things encapsulated with the number eight. But uh, that that's a discussion for another day. But so see, it says here, it describes that. Uh, so the silver cord's loosed and the spirit returns to God through the realm of death there. Uh, and returns to God until the dawn of another life day in the school of earth beckons. Uh, to a new birth, where it may acquire more skill in the arts and crafts of temple building. So there, there he's, uh, you know, appeasing the Masonic tradition there. Temple building, see, you're building your soul. That's what it's talking about, temple building. The building of the soul, the building of the temple without uh, walls, so to say. The, the temple of the mind, the temple of the soul. Anyway, let's get back to the reading, so... About five months after the quickening, when the last of the watery signs, Pisces, has been passed, the representative of the Lucifer spirits, Samael, focuses the forces of the fiery sign Aries, where Mars is positively polarized, so that under the impulse of their dynamic energy, the waters of the womb are voided, and the imprisoned spirit is liberated into the physical world to fight the battle of life. Okay, going to pause there, folks. So see how it jumps back from that last idea there that it was talking about, where it talks about after the first four months, okay, the, the spirit is placed into the newly formed body of the fetus, and then it's saying after about five more months, then there's the quickening, see? And it's talking about how uh, this idea, because of the, the fire idea, uh, this uh, soul is released into the physical world now okay so the, the soul is born manifest in the physical body here so that's what it's talking about because of these different machinations of the sky clock so to say 
and how these ideas relate with that. So that's what it's talking about. So let's get back to the reading, though. It may blindly butt its head against the cosmic forces typified by the first of the fiery signs, Ares the ram, which is a symbol of the brute strength brought to bear upon the problems of life by the most primitive races. Or it may adopt the more modern method of cunning as a, a means of attaining mastery over others, which characteristic is indicated in the second of the fiery signs, Leo, the lion, the king of beasts, or perchance it may rise above the animal nature and aim at the stars with the bow of spiritual aspiration typified by the last of the fiery signs, Sagittarius, the centaur. The centaur is just ahead of the watery sign, Scorpio, a warning that one who tries to reach the prerogative as Freemason, and that's spelled P-H-R-E-E-M-E-S-S-E-N, Freemason, which means a son of light, and it says here, a son of light, will surely feel the sting of the scorpion in his heel, which will goad him onward upon the path where men become wise as serpents. It is from this class that mystic masonry is recruited with men who have the indomitable courage to dare, the unflagging energy to do, and the diplomatic discrimination to be silent. And that's an important uh, key point right there, to be silent, because it all depends upon secrecy. See, they, they want to keep these secrets of the ages from all of the profane folks. It's always the same thing. They're so much better and more enlightened than us. And we're going to get to why they think this way and who they think they are as we continue on here. But that was the end of the uh, chapter here. And we're going to move on and do the next chapter because we'll see so many other important ideas coming to bear there. But uh, did you catch that? The idea of Freemason, Freemason, son of light, a son of fire and light, it says here. That's what Freemason means. Son of fire and light. So, once again, they're invoking these archetypes of these, you know, philosophical elemental ideas. So it's saying that uh, Freemasons, are, or the mystic Masons, as it were, um, are recruited based upon their indomitable courage to dare, their unflagging energy to do, and their diplomatic discrimination to be silent. So if they can keep their mouths shut, uh, and, you know, they, they are productive in doing things, and uh, they're brave enough to dare to try to do things, then they will be recruited, see? And, and that's how many of these things work. You, you don't just go down to the local lodge, and knock on the door and ask to be let in. You can do that, but there's a process. Don't you understand? You have to have somebody vouch for you within the organization, first of all, and then they vote for you, and if a black ball shows up in that vote, you, you don't get initiated into the order. See? So usually all these things, especially when you get to the higher points, the higher degrees of these organizations, you have to have somebody ahead of you in the organization that's that's pulling for you or directly uh, kind of recruits you in such a sense. So even though they claim they don't actively recruit, they, they sort of do when you get to the higher levels here. They, they look for people that they think have these different uh, 
attributes that they, they look for within these organizations. Can they keep it a secret? See, that's, that's one of the primary things they look for. Are you going to keep your mouth shut? Because that's important. Because when you do unscrupulous things at the topmost levels of these organizations, you got to keep your mouth shut. Okay, they don't want any of that getting out. It's okay to talk about your spaghetti dinners and your, your charities uh, to the children's hospitals and stuff like that. But you don't want any of your dirty little secrets getting out, do you? So, <laughs> that being the case, let's move on here to the next section. Every mystic movement has its legend, which tells in symbolic language its status in the cosmic order and the ideal with which it tries to realize. From the Old Testament, containing the Atlantean mystery teaching, we learn that mankind was created male-female, bisexual, and that each one was capable of propagating his species without the cooperation of another, as is the case with some plants today. Later on, we are informed Jehovah removed one pole of the creative force from Adam, the early humanity, and that there were henceforth two sexes. The esoteric teaching supplements this information by stating that the purpose of this change was to use one pole of the creative force for the building of a brain and larynx wherewith mankind might acquire knowledge and express itself in speech. The intimate connection between the organs, brain, larynx, and genitals is evident to anyone upon the slightest examination of facts. The boy's voice changing at puberty, the mental deficiency resulting from overindulgence of the passional nature, and the inarticulate speech of the mentally defective, with many other facts which may be added to prove this assertion. Gonna pause there, folks. So right out of the gate... Once again, they're referring back to these uh, old evolutionary ideas within the occult science. So, see, when man was plant-like, and, uh, you know, up until uh, the advent of, of Jehovah here, he was too sexed. So he was able to, to propagate from himself without uh, another. There was no male-female distinction until such time that uh, Jehovah here divided the genders. Okay, male and female divided this uh, generative force. Okay, so that, once again, and that's not the first time we've heard this, um, uh, if you've been following me uh, for any length of time. This is one of the things that they believe. Okay, and this is something why they think we have uh, this gift of intellect. Okay, is is because of this idea that uh, half of our generative force is turned upwards to develop the brain and the larynx and, you know, the, the higher mental capacities of the human being from the animal. Anyway, let's move on in the reading here. According to the Bible, our earliest parents were forbidden to eat of the tree of knowledge, but Eve, seduced by the serpent, did eat and later induced the man to follow her example. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Okay, first off, this is a little bit disingenuous, okay? Because it's saying, according to the Bible, our earliest parents were forbidden to eat of the tree of knowledge. And no, 
According to the Bible, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not the tree of knowledge. Okay, so there's a little bit of, of disingenuousness in, in this teaching right out of the gate. Okay, uh, so let's continue on, though. So it says here, Eve, seduced by the serpent, did eat and later induced the man to follow her example. Who the serpents are and what the tree of knowledge is may also be determined from certain passages in the Bible. We are told, for instance, that Christ exhorted his disciples to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The so-called curse pronounced upon Eve after her confession declares that she must bear her children in sorrow and pain and that the race will die. It has always been a great stumbling block to Bible commentators as to what connection there could be between the eating of an apple, death, and painful partruition. But when we are acquainted with the chaste expressions of the Bible, which designates the creative act by such passages as Adam knew Eve, and she bore Abel, how can I bear a child seeing I know not a man, etc., it is very evident that the tree of knowledge is a symbolical expression for the creative act. Then it is plain that the serpents taught Eve how to perform the creative act, and that Eve instructed Adam. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So you see the argument they're making here. First of all, they're claiming that uh, it's always been a great stumbling block to Bible commentators as to what the connection could be between eating of an apple and death and painful partruition. Uh, that's not a true statement, folks. I, I, there's many Bible commentators that... Are, are not stumped by that idea. And it doesn't even say in the Bible that it was an apple. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it was an apple. And most of your Bible commentators will make that, you know, assertion. Uh, it's just traditionally what's been kind of shown in the artwork because it was an easy fruit to draw, I guess. But uh, that's, that's not part of the, the story, and it's not a stumbling block for these people, as this guy claims, but uh, anyway, let's get back to it. So he's equating the tree of knowledge, um, and it, it's, it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil um, that man was not supposed to eat from, but uh, he's calling it the tree of knowledge, okay, and he's saying that this must be about the creative act. It must be a symbol for the creative act. So with that being said... It says here, then it is plain that the serpents taught Eve, and it says serpents, plural, okay? And it's talking about serpents, plural, not serpent, like it says in the Bible. So there's more disingenuousness there. But anyway, then it is plain that the serpents taught Eve how to perform the creative act, and that Eve instructed Adam. Therefore, Christ designated the serpents as harmful while admitting their wisdom. To get at the identity of the serpent, it is necessary to invoke the esoteric teaching, which points them out as the martial Lucifer spirits, rulers of the serpentine sign Scorpio. Their initiates, even so late as the Egyptian dynasty, wore the uraeus, or serpent symbol, in their forehead as a sign of their source of wisdom. So I'm going to pause there again, folks. So you see, um, there the... Rosicrucians here equate the identity of the serpent or serpents as the Lucifer spirits or these Martian beings, these martial spirits, see, uh, from Mars. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You, you see all this stuff, how it, it never ends? 
never ends. Um, anyway, uh, once again, they, they invoke these archetypal ideas all the time. So you, you can see the idea of Mars and the serpent and Scorpio all being uh, compared together. And then they, they always, always, always try to tie it back to Egypt because Egypt was where the uh, ancient mystery schools found their perfection. Uh, in many of their teachings so that being the case they tie it forward to the egyptians let's get back to the reading though and see what else mr heindahl has to say here as a consequence of the this unauthorized use of the creative force humanity ceased to be ethereal and crystallized into the coats of skin or physical body which now hides from them the gods who dwell in the invisible realms and great was their sorrow at this loss. Gonna pause there, folks. So there's an important idea. So when man sinned and woman sinned, uh, when they, they defied this order of God and ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or as they say here, just when they ate of the tree of knowledge or they performed the, the creative act or the sex act for the first time, then... What happened was their spiritual form or their ethereal form ceased to be and crystallized into a physical form here. The coats of skin, it says here, kind of uh, equating the idea to the, the Bible idea uh, or, or the physical body, which now hides from them the gods who dwell in the invisible realms. And great was their sorrow at this loss. So it cuts them off from spirit. From this realm of spirit, and there is a sort of truth tied up in this, because uh, according to uh, the Bible, man uh, choosing to uh, disobey God and to go ahead and commit this original sin, he separated himself from God, from the spirit of God. Okay, So therefore, he was bound in the physical world here, in the physical realm and lost sight of many spiritual things. But anyway, <coughs> excuse me, let's get back to the reading. Generation had been originally established by the angels under Jehovah. It was then performed in great temples under propitious planetary conditions, and partruition was then painless, as it is today among wild animals where the creative function is not abused for the purpose of gratifying the senses. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There is another disingenuous statement. It says, Generation had been originally established by the angels under Jehovah. Okay? So now they're saying, okay... Jehovah's subordinates came up with the idea of uh, separating these uh, creative forces, the uh, turning one half of man's creative force upward and uh, creating the separate sexes here. Okay, so then it was... It, that's also a contradiction of what it tells you earlier in this same text, that Jehovah did that. Okay, now it's saying the angels under Jehovah did that. And that uh, they, they oversaw man's procreation in these great temples under propitious planetary condition, conditions. And partruition was then painless, as it is today among the animals, where the creative function is not abused for the purpose of gratifying the senses. So, you see how this is a subtle cue uh, that the 
the uh, different secret societies take up later, and even, you know, back in the biblical times, uh, the different uh, things that were going on with the, the different types of, of worship uh, of these different quote-unquote gods in the different temples and mystery schools and Baal worship and all of these other uh, entities or spirits that they worshipped, these gods that they worshipped, it's the same thing. They, they performed these sex acts in the great temples under these certain conditions, and it was all a giant orgy, okay? So that's what this is talking about. This is claiming that, uh, you know, generation had been established by the angels under the, the rule of Jehovah, and that uh, this this is how they did it. They, they held these massive orgies in temples. Um, so you, you could see how some of these ideas don't add up to uh, the same things that we see within the different religious philosophies and stuff like that. Anyway, <coughs> let's continue on here to the next part. Degeneration resulted from the ignorant and unauthorized abuse inaugurated by the Lucifer spirits. Okay, going to pause there. So you see... Degeneration resulted from the ignorant and unauthorized abuse inaugurated by the Lucifer spirits. So, they're basically blaming man here, okay, for degeneration. Because, see, man was ignorant and uh, he abused uh, these... <laughs> The, this, these different ideas that were, were given by the Lucifer spirits, okay? So, you see, man was given... This is what this is saying now. So, man was given this knowledge of how to procreate, okay? The, the, the creative idea here. Uh, the generative idea. So, the Lucifer spirits told showed him how to reproduce. Or, you know, taught Eve, the serpent taught Eve, the Lucifer spirits taught Eve uh, this this thing, and then she in turn taught Adam, or the man, and, and then man and woman learned how to procreate. So then it's saying here, even though in the last sentence there it said generation had originally been established by the angels under Jehovah, and this is how they did it, was in this orgy type uh, idea within the temple under certain conditions and stuff like that, and it wasn't for the purpose of gratifying the senses, oh no. Uh, but uh, then they're saying degeneration resulted when man abused uh, the, these these things here, the, the sex act or the sex force, see? And so, once again, they're, they're throwing the plausible deniability aspect into here, even though they say that, you know, it was established here, but then, oh, the Lucifer spirits, well, because man abused what was given them by the Lucifer spirits, that's the problem. It's not the fact that the Lucifer spirits disobeyed uh, the divine decree and uh, rebelled and, and went against the order and and did all this stuff and gave man this knowledge and stuff like that. No, it, it's not. It's deflecting blame from the Lucifer spirits back onto man, which isn't totally incorrect because man is given a choice, okay, when it comes down to it, and, and man has made man's choice, so... But let's continue on. Regeneration must be undertaken in order to restore man to his lost estate as a spiritual being and to free him from this body of death wherein he is now encrusted. 
death must be swallowed up in immortality. Going to pause there. That's not entirely wrong, is it? Uh, we are kind of encrusted in this body that is finite and, and will perish. And uh, in order to uh, restore ourselves as a spiritual being, uh, we do need to take on uh, this immortality. See, but how do we do that? that that's, the, that's the thing. And uh, we're, we're going to get further into that as we read on here. So let's continue with the reading. And remember, this is straight uh, from the Rosicrucians, folks. This is right out of the horse's mouth. This is the stuff they believe. And this is this is not me like just making this stuff up or telling you this. This is legitimately what they believe, what they teach, and uh, what they act upon in this world, these things. So let's let's read on. To attain this object, a covenant was made with humanity when it was expelled from the garden of God to wander in the wilderness of the world. According to that plan, a tabernacle was built after a pattern planned by God, Jehovah, and an ark symbolical of the human spirit was placed in it. Its staves were never taken out of their place to show that man is a pilgrim on the earth and may never rest until he reaches the goal. There was within it a golden pot with mana, and it says in parentheses, man, fallen from heaven, together with a statement of the divine laws which man must learn in his pilgrimage through the wilderness of matter. The symbolic ark also contained a magic wand, an emblem of the spiritual powers called Aaron's Rod, which are now latent in everyone on his way to the haven of rest, the mystic temple of Solomon. The Old Testament also tells how humanity was miraculously led and provided for, how after the warfare with the world it was given peace and prosperity by the before-mentioned King Solomon. In short, stripped of all embellishments, the story relates the salient facts of man's descent from heaven, his principal metamorphoses, his transgressions of the laws of the god Jehovah, would wish to guide him in the future till he reaches the kingdom of heaven, the land of peace, and again docilely follows the lead of the divine ruler. The Masonic legend has points of variance from, as well as agreement, with the Bible story. It states that Jehovah created Eve, that the Lucifer spirit Samael united with her, but that he was ousted by Jehovah and forced to leave her before the birth of her son Cain, who was thus the son of a widow. Then Jehovah created Adam to be the husband of Eve, and from their union Abel was born. Thus, from the beginning, there have been two kinds of people in the world, one begotten by the Lucifer spirit Samael and partaking of a semi-divine nature imbued with the dynamic martial energy inherited from this divine ancestry, is aggressive, progressive, and possessed of great initiative, but impatient of restraint or authority, whether human or divine. This class is loath to take things on faith and prone to prove all things through the light of reason. These people believe in works rather than faith, and by their dauntless courage and inexhaustible energy, 
they have transformed the trackless wilderness of the world to a garden full of life and beauty, so lovely, in fact, that the sons of Cain have forgotten the garden of God, the kingdom of heaven, whence they were expelled by the decree, the decree of the lunar god Jehovah. Against him they are in constant rebellion because he has tied them by the umbilical cable toe. They have lost their spiritual sight and are imprisoned in the forehead of the body where it is said Cain was marked. They must wander as prodigal sons in the comparative darkness of the material world, oblivious to their high and noble estate until they find the door of the temple and ask and receive light. Then, as free Masson, or children of light, they are instructed in methods of building a new temple without sound of hammer, and when the spirit realizes that it is far from its heavenly home, a prodigal feeding upon the unsatisfactory husks of the material world, that apart from the father it is poor, naked, and blind, when it knocks at the door of a mystic temple like that of the Rosicrucians and asks for light, when it receives the desired instruction after due qualification by building an ethereal soul body, a temple or house eternal in the heavens, not made with hands and without sound of hammer, when its nakedness is, closed with, is clothed with that house, see Corinthians 4, 5, then the neophyte receives the word the open sesame to the inner worlds and learns to travel in foreign parts in the invisible worlds. There he takes soul flights into heavenly regions and qualifies for higher degrees under more direct instruction from the grand architect of the universe who fashioned both heaven and earth. And I'm going to pause there, folks. <coughs> that should tell you everything you need to know about the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, the secret societies, all of these things. There it is, in their own words. They think themselves semi-divine. They're the sons of gods. Okay, and we of the other... Well, we'll get there. We didn't even get there yet, did we? Uh, about the, the other half of this story. But this is who these people believe they are. They believe they're the sons of Cain. They believe... Cain was begotten by Samael, the Lucifer spirit, see, uh, with Eve. They believe that God created Eve first, woman came first, and then later uh, God made man. So you, you see how uh, this differs from the biblical teaching that man was made first and then woman was made from his rib, from his side, see. This is a total uh, change of direction with that. So these people, they believe that they have a semi-divine bloodline, that they are half angelic, a half, you know, of this Lucifer spirit. They believe that uh, their salvation will be through their works or through their the use of their intellect. They believe that uh, they are the builders of this world. They're the people that do things, okay? Uh, let's continue on, because there's a lot more ideas uh, caught up in this whole battle for the minds of men here, see? But anyway, <coughs> this is who the large portion of these people in these power elite groups that run the world, this is who they believe they are. They, they believe that they are 
the sons of Cain. See? And all this stuff always ties back to these core archetypal ideas once again. So, you could see here, this is what they believe. All right? This is from their own words, right out of the horse's mouth, not me, saying this stuff about them. They're saying it about themselves. So, let's continue with the reading here, and let's see what other information we could suss out of this here uh, chapter that we're looking at. So it says here, Such is the temperament of the widow's sons, inherited from their divine progenitor, Samael, and given by him to their ancestor, Cain. Their past history is a struggle with adverse conditions. Their achievement is victory wrested from all opposing forces by indomitable courage and persistent effort, unchecked by temporary defeat. On the other hand, while Cain, governed by divine ambition, toiled and tilled the soil to make two blades of grass grow where there was only one, Abel, the human progeny of human parents, and that's all in capital letters, folks, Abel, the human progeny of human parents, felt no urge or unrest, himself a creature of Jehovah, through Adam and Eve. He was perfectly contented to tend the flocks, also created by God, and to accept a livelihood from their divinely begotten increase without labor or exercising initiative. And I'm going to pause there, folks. If you've ever done any kind of animal husbandry or raised animals of any sort or done any farming or anything of the sort, you know that, uh, you know, that's not true. Raising animals and, uh, you know, reproducing animals is a lot of hard work, okay? So, you see here how uh, the Rosicrucian Order and the Secret Schools, they try to portray uh, Abel, or the, the human lineage here, the regular human being, as being lazy and uh, just, you know, uh, everything else. Lazy and docile and everything else. See, that's how they try to portray them here. But let's get back to the reading. <coughs> Excuse me, so we'll read that again. So, it says here, Abel, the human progeny of human parents, felt no urge or unrest, himself a creature of Jehovah through Adam and Eve. He was perfectly contented to tend the flocks also created by God and to accept a livelihood from their divinely begotten increase without labor or exercising initiative. This docile attitude was most pleasing to the god Jehovah, who was extremely jealous of his prerogative as the creator. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore, he cordially accepted the offer of Abel obtained without effort or initiative, but scorned the offering of Cain because, derived through his own divine creative instinct akin to that of Jehovah, Cain then slew Abel, but did not thereby exterminate the docile creatures of Jehovah. For we are told Adam knew Eve again, and she bore Seth. Seth had the same characteristics as Abel, and transmitted them to his descendants, who to this day continue to trust the Lord for everything, and who live by faith and not by work. And that's all in capital letters, folks, who live by faith and not by work. So you see the attitude that these people have about anybody who uh, is a devout Christian, who, uh, you know, uh, lives by faith. You know, this is, in their view, this is lazy. Okay, this is, this is docile. 
this is not something honorable in their view. See? Anyway, let's get back to the reading. By arduous and energetic application to the world's work, the sons of Cain have acquired worldly wisdom and temporal power. They have been captains of industry and masters of statecraft. And statecraft is all in caps, folks. While the sons of Seth, looking to the Lord for guidance, have become the avenue for divine and spiritual wisdom. They constitute the priestcraft, and priestcraft's all in caps, too. The animosity of Cain and Abel has been perpetuated from generation to generation among their respective descendants. Nor could it be otherwise, because one class as temporal rulers aim to lift humanity to physical well-being through conquest of the material world, while the priesthood is their role as spiritual guides urge their followers to forsake the wicked world, the veil of tears, and look to God for comfort." One school aims to turn out master workmen skilled in the use of tools wherewith they may wrest a livelihood from the earth, which was cursed by their divine adversary, Jehovah. I'm going to pause there, folks. Did you catch that subtle language there? Their divine adversary, Jehovah. Adversary. See? Anyway, back to the reading. The other produces master magicians skilled in the use of the tongue in invocation. And by the use of the tongue, they gain support from the toilers here and pray themselves and their charges into heaven hereafter. Gonna pause there, folks. Here's the deal, okay? Sons of Cain, the uh, philosophers of fire, so to say. The Masons, these secret society groups, they see themselves as the masters of statecraft. Okay, these are your politicians. These are politicians, folks. The, the statecraft. Okay. Now, they make the distinction here that the sons of Abel, or the sons of Seth, sorry, the sons of Seth, this other line, the, the, the human line here, they were the priestcraft. They constitute the priestcraft. Well, and as part of the priestcraft, they were viewed as master magicians. So, anyway, you could see we have these two different distinctions here. Statecraft and priestcraft. All right. And, and we'll get there. Let's continue on with the reading. we got a little bit more to go. And then we'll tie together some loose ends and make things abundantly clear for you here. <coughs> so... Continuing on, after the future in store for the sons of Cain and their followers, the temple legend is also most eloquent. It states that from Cain descended Methuselah, who invented writing, Tubal-Cain, a cunning worker in metals, and Jubal, who originated music. In short, and this is all in capitals now, folks, the next part I'm going to read. In short, the sons of Cain are the originators of the arts and crafts. Therefore, when Jehovah chose Solomon, the scion of the race of Seth, to build a house for his name, the sublime spirituality of a long line of divinely guided ancestors flowered into the conception of the magnificent temple called Solomon's Temple. Though Solomon has only the instrument to carry out the divine plan revealed by Jehovah to David, but Solomon was unable to execute the divine design in concrete form. Therefore, it became necessary for him to apply to King Hiram of Tyre, the descendant of Cain, who selected Hiram Abiff, the son of a widow, 
as all Freemasons are called because of their relation of their divine progenitor with Eve. So you're going to pause there, folks. There it is again, the son of a widow. Now, why do uh, Freemasons call themselves sons of a widow? Well, because <coughs> they see themselves as the son of uh, divinity here. They, they, they're part divine, see? Um, the divine progenitor with Eve. Lucifer, if you will, they're the sons of Lucifer, or the Lucifer spirits, or Samael, to be correct. Uh, anyway, but let's, let's continue on. Hiram Abiff then became Grand Master of the Army of Construction. In him the arts and crafts of all the sons of Cain who had gone before had flowered. He was skilled beyond all others in the work of the world, without which the plan of Jehovah must have remained forever a divine dream, and could never have become a concrete reality. The worldly acumen of the sons of Cain was as necessary to the completion of this temple as the spiritual conception of the sons of Seth, and therefore, during the period of construction, the two classes joined forces, the underlying enmity being hidden under a superficial show of amity. It was indeed the first attempt to unite them, and had been that and had that been accomplished, the world history from then on would have been altered in a very material manner. Gonna pause there, folks. So here's the deal. <coughs> God gave the divine plan to Solomon for this temple. Solomon, because, you know, he's just a lowly human, couldn't couldn't put this thing together. So he, he required, you know, these semi-divine uh, sons of the widow here to, to do this, to bring it into material manifestation of reality here, because only they are skilled enough and good enough and smart enough to do this. Do, do you see, do you catch all of this uh, subtext in here of what they're saying? Uh, <coughs> so that being the case, they had to join forces to do this. And, and this is a total... Uh, this is this is totally one of those things too that doesn't make any sense. Okay, so these sons of uh, you know of light, these uh, philosophers of fire, these sons of Cain, uh, they are the you know <laughs> they they see themselves as being adversarial to Jehovah. So why would they volunteer to build a temple to Jehovah? in this sense see it uh, there's something disingenuous about it from the get-go all right so this is but this is how the story goes Let, let's continue to tell their story even though if you start to think about it for a minute it doesn't add up or make sense okay and we'll get to more of that later so <clears throat> here's the thing here it says though so the underlying enmity being hidden under a superficial show of amity they joined forces to do this so let's continue on here. But then it says that, uh, and had this been accomplished, the world history from then on would have altered in a very material manner. So what else does it say here? Let's continue on. The sons of Cain, descended from the fiery Lucifer spirits, were naturally proficient in the use of fire. By it, the metals hoarded by Solomon and his ancestors were melted into altars, lavers, and vessels of various kinds. Pillars were fashioned by workmen under the direction of Hiram Abiff, and arches to rest upon them. The great edifice was nearing completion when he made ready to cast the molten sea. 
which was to be the crowning effort, his masterpiece. It was in the construction of this great work that the treachery of the sons of Seth became manifest and frustrated the divine plan of reconciliation. Okay, so I'm going to pause there, folks, okay? So they're attempting to make this molten sea, okay? And this was going to be their crowning com achievement here, their crowning effort, the masterpiece. It was in the construction of this great work that the treachery of the sons of Seth became manifest and frustrated the divine plan of reconciliation. So you see, these same sons of fire who claim to be adversarial to Jehovah, they're, they're claiming now that this was the divine plan of reconciliation, but uh, the sons of Seth uh, were actually treacherous about it and betrayed them. Okay. Yeah, makes makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Think about that. Yeah, we're going to go work for our, our adversary, our enemy, and help him build this temple. And then we're going to get mad when, you know, they call us out on what we're doing. That, that's what it sounds like to me. But anyway, let's continue with the reading. Back to what they're saying. So, they tried to quench the fire used by Hiram Abiff with their natural weapon, water, and almost succeeded. The incidents which led up to this catastrophe, their meaning, and the sequel will be related in the next chapter. And we're going to stop right there, folks, and maybe we'll continue on uh, with this reading to see what else it has to say about that. But here's the thing, okay? Here's what happened, okay? Here's, here's the thing I have researched, and... Um, this is probably, I, I don't have any direct proof of this, but it seems that this may be actually what happened with this, okay? They're talking about, and remember, all of this stuff, these are allegorical tales, okay? These are allegorical tales. So it's talking about these sons of Cain and the sons of Seth. Uh, the sons of Cain here claim that they tried to make reconciliation with the sons of Seth because they wanted to... Uh, well, well, here's the thing, okay? Think about what we had alluded to earlier. The sons of Cain, see, these were the statecraft, the masters of the statecraft, okay? The sons of Seth, they were the, the masters of the priestcraft. So, who really called the shots? in this world well it's always been the secret priest kings behind the altars hasn't it that are directing things because uh, whether the masters of statecraft like it or not there are some natural forces and things that uh, they kind of had lost sight of uh, through their hubris and through their uh, building of unnatural things things opposed to the natural world so they sought solace with these uh, priestcraft, the ones who still understood some of the natural workings, the ones that they describe in here as being master magicians. See, so here is what happened. The sons of Cain, the, these uh, philosophers of fire, they wanted to solidify their power in this world by merging the statecraft with the priestcraft. Okay, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but, uh, I, you know, maybe we'll continue uh, another part of this and read a little further in this book uh, next time, just to see what 
what uh, Mr. Heindahl has to say about this. But what I have discovered is, see, here's the thing. These, these uh, sons of Cain, these sons of fire, these ones who have to uh, provide their own salvation. See, that we, we went through that. They have to find their own way, their own salvation, and they, they see themselves as being able to do that through their divinely inspired intellect here. Uh, so what they wanted to do was to not only be masters of statecraft in the material world here, but they wanted to try to seize back these spiritual ideas that they had lost, see, uh, that they were separated from that they were imprisoned in this physical form and are separated from. Now, here's the thing, okay? They're claiming that they're freed by this by doing these initiatory rites, right? And going through these different initiations, joining these secret societies, and finding the quote-unquote the light, all right? Well, if that's the case, if they could do that on their own, then why, why were they trying to reconcile with the sons of Seth, See? And here it is. This is what had happened. They wanted to merge statecraft with priestcraft. So they wanted to learn the ways of these magicians, these master magicians, themselves. So this is what they aspired to do. They wanted to try to make reconciliation. And when they failed with reconciliation, they decided to try to use other uh, subvertive-type methods to do so. So what actually happened... And like I said, this is mostly conjecture on my part, but I do see some evidence to back it up. Uh, I haven't really put all the, the correlating uh, work together to really flesh it out totally. But in my view, what has happened here is they decided to take hold of these different old occult sciences and alchemical philosophies. And they decided to merge the statecraft with the priestcraft. And when they failed to do so here, uh, in this story, uh, with, you know, the, the building of Solomon's temple, they decided that they would try again later. And in my view, I think they have succeeded with it. And they did this during the fall of the Roman Empire. For you see that the Roman Empire never truly fell. The masters of the statecraft of Rome... They transformed themselves. They, they performed an alchemical wedding with the masters of the priestcraft, and uh, they combined these two great entities, the Roman Empire and the Church, together, and they formed the Vatican. And they alchemically combined these things, and they have since ruled the world uh, from behind the scenes, and concurrently with the uh, advent of the Vatican and the rise of this massive uh, Catholic Church, uh, which, you know, Heindahl's talking about here, Catholicism and Freemasonry, how they're, they're polar opposites. Well, they, they uh, combine these together in an alchemical union of sorts and have actually used them to proliferate throughout the world uh, to gain footholds and control all over the place through these different concepts. So it's been largely the Sons of Fire have taken over within the Hall's of the priestcraft and you know in uh trying to attain these spiritual things but they yeah, <laughs> they seem to lose sight of the physical so therefore they're trying to steer things towards the hyper materialist view 
wherein everything is all tied to the physical folks because that's what they have control over they don't have um how should we say they don't have dominion in spiritual things see uh, whereas the the sons of seth do so uh, this is kind of a, a strange thing that has happened so they they've merged these ideas and they've put forward the vatican but it's still something that's incomplete and the next phase of it uh, directly relates to the next step in human evolution or transhumanism and that's what they're pushing towards now uh, so that's why they're trying to lock in this total panopticon control grid that they're doing because uh, the next step is to merge the minds of men with machines and totally lock in this hyper materialist viewpoint or you know lock a man completely into the physical see uh, so that's in my view the next step but at any rate uh, I think we're going to call it quits there for tonight and uh, so you could see how these ideas have all played out in the modern age and you could see uh, how uh, they've they've hit upon these archetypes these uh, philosophical elemental archetypes and how they've used them to manipulate and what it is that they think they are or who they are and who it is that they think the rest of us are you know the ones of us that they call the profane uh, they think us to be just the lowly uh, subhumans see they're the only ones that are truly human because they have this divine uh, this semi-divine bloodline it's all about bloodlines with these people too and there it is i gave it to you in their own words they they literally believe they are the sons of cain who was the son of samael the fallen angelic being uh, the lucifer spirit uh, related to martial ideas or the idea of mars why are they so uh you know enamored with going to mars well it would be the reunification of the lucifer spirits see it would be the total rise of power of the lucifer spirits in a sense here that that's what they're talking about they see their heritage as being from there they really think that they are descendants from beings from mars you see why they push that idea uh because that's where the lucifer spirits reside see um so that being the case they push these ideas and you know they push these narratives of uh alien beings martians were descended from martians so that that's why they're fascinated with the planet mars they want to get there uh that's why they they promulgate the idea of you know maybe we actually are descendants from people from mars maybe there was life once on mars and we're their descendants that kind of thing so you, you could see where these ideas come from now when when you look back at these things and understand what it is they're working towards and what they're working towards is the transhumanist goal because see they they are masters over the physical realm here the the statecraft and they've tried uh, somewhat successfully to incorporate the the spiritual side of things with the, the priestcraft uh, which were traditionally the sons of seth so having done these things uh, they're trying to tie all the spiritual aspects the spiritual side of things into the material world here or the hyper materialist viewpoint uh, so that being the case they could quench the spiritual ideas of man and keep man 
firmly founded in the physical here. That's why they, there's things like atheism and secular humanism and, you know, you keep people's heads out of the spiritual realms and focused solely on physical things here. That's why they promote the idea of this is all there is. See? And, you know, this is why they hide the uh, existence of God from man. This is why they hide the nature of what space is from man. Because they don't want man to believe that there is a higher being, there's a creator being that created all of us. They want man to think this is all there is so that they could keep him trapped here and become God themselves. See, when this is all there is, is the hyper or the hyper material or the digital world. This is the ultimate form of hyper materialism, the digital world, folks. Uh, virtual realities, things of that nature. This is what they're working towards. This is why. This is what they believe. This is who they think they are. They think they're semi-divine beings with, that have the God-given right to rule. And uh, they've been separated from the spiritual. And they have grand ambitions. And they think that they can achieve, through their own works, a sort of salvation and become God here in the material world. And this is what they work towards. And this is why they keep going for this transhumanist type goal. So... This is what we're looking at, and here it is, right in their own words. Uh, you know, it's not conjecture to say that they believe that they are semi-divine beings or that they're of a royal bloodline. They they truly do, and it's right there in their own words. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up here for tonight, folks. I hope you have a good one. Thanks for listening along, and we'll catch you next time. Have a good night. Come with me.